Haunted Nights, live with Tamara Thorne and Alistair Cross. We'd like to thank W.J. Pierce for creating that wonderful piece of music and performing it, too. Good evening, and welcome to Thorn and Cross on tonight's live. We're your hosts, Alistair Cross, who's got the night off, Tamara Thorn, and our YA host tonight, Q.L. Pierce, is here. Thanks for joining us. Before we guest, um, let me tell you what we're doing. Alistair and I just released new solo novels. Um, mine is Brimstone, the Brimstone Grand Hotel, owned by reclusive former movie star Delilah. Covering long buried family horrors, horrors that will echo down through generations and within the walls of the Brimstone Grand, the past has come back to life. And Holly Tremaine and her grandmother Delilah are faced with an ancient familial evil that reigns as that won't rest until it possesses Holly, body, mind, and soul. Alistair's new release is The Silver Dagger. It's book two in the Vampires of Crimson Corset series and picks up where his first book leaves off. Life in Crimson Cove has been good to the Coulter brothers since Gretchen Van Treese was staked and her horde of vampires scattered. But when she rises from the grave, the brothers are torn apart, their lives and the peace between them shattered. Meanwhile, a serial killer is stalking the mountain town, leaving the trail of blood that leads to a truth Sheriff Ethan Hunter doesn't want to face. The streets are no longer safe, nor are the forested paths, for a new and unknowable evil has come to Crimson Cove, and everyone, vampire and human alike, must come together to survive. Um, the first book in the Crimson Cove series is The Crimson Corset. It's available at Amazon, ebook, paper, that stuff. And if you're a vampire fan, you might want to check out the companion novel, Darling Girls, which is a Thorn and Cross collaboration. Um, also, our latest installment of our serial novel, Ravencrest Exorcism, uh, Communion, <laughs> is, is available at Amazon this week. Um, you, finally, you're listening to Thorn and Cross on tonight. You can learn about what we do at our websites, AlistairCross.com and TamaraThorn.com, or you can visit our mutual blog at ThornandCross.wordpress.com. Our few tweets, our, our handles are at Cross Alistair and at Tamara Thorn. Um, for more information on the show, you can visit Authors on the Air on Facebook, Twitter, and AuthorsOnTheAir.com. This is a broadcast of the Authors on the Air Global, Global Radio Network, LLC. And so tonight, our guest host, QL Pierce, is our multi-award winning co-host. And I'm making this up on the spot, if you can't tell it. Uh, she's the author of Scary Stories for Sleepovers and 150 other books for middle grade and young adult readers. Her latest is Spine Chillers, and it's available now in ebook and paperback on Amazon. Welcome aboard, Q. Thanks for coming. Well, thank you so much. Um, I'm excited tonight because uh, this is our all-British night. We're all representing various parts of the British Isles and Scotland, and <laughs> um, our guest is Samantha M. Clark. And Samantha has always loved stories about ordinary people in extraordinary circumstances. She's the award-winning author of The Boy, The Boat, and The Beast, 
published by Paula Weissman Books, Simon & Schuster Children's Books. Samantha is also the regional advisor for the Austin chapter of the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators. So welcome, Samantha. Hi, thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Oh, we're thrilled to have you. So let's start by getting mm-hmm. to know you a little better. Let's uh, go into a little of your own backstory as a writer. In a past life, you were a photojournalist and a managing editor for newspapers and magazines, and you lived in some exotic locations. Would you tell us a little about how that set you on your path as an author? Yeah, well, um, I... I I have I've lived I've lived in a lot of places. I was actually born in um, South America in Guyana, um, and we left there when I was one. Moved to England, and I grew up in England until ten, age ten. But my parents wanted to get back to the West Indies. My dad took a job in um, Jamaica. We moved to Jamaica, and we lived in Jamaica for two years, and um, then my parents did actually a sailing trip to the Cayman Islands and they landed oh, wow. in, yeah, it was a, a part of a, 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 a regular um, thing that they had during Pirates Week in October years ago between Montego Bay and Grand Cayman. And it was this sailing race. My parents used to sail a lot. So they did the sailing race. They landed in Cayman and decided that's where they wanted to live and made it happen. So when I was 12, we moved to Cayman and um, and in fact, they still live there. And so then I went to high school there, and then I went back to school in England, um, boarding school to do my A levels, and then ended up coming to the U.S. for college. So I've lived all over, and I was an, and I'm an only child. So uh, when I do when I do school visits, I always tell tell kids that you know I was really shy as a kid, and one of the things one of the good things about um, well, one of the difficult things, rather, about about moving a lot, and I was always the first, you know, the, the, the new kid in school. When I was in Jamaica, in fact, I lived, you know, I, I was there for two years, and I was in two different schools each year. Oh, so wow. I was even more than you, the new kid. And I wasn't because I was really shy. I wasn't all that great at making friends, um, and. So one of the really good things was I would find friends in books. And from from the time when I was little, my mom actually taught me to read before I even went to school when we were in England. And I always held on to stories. And the stories would follow me from country to country because, you know, we were moving so much and we didn't have a lot of money. So, you know, I, I didn't have that many books. I had a, a few core books that were mine, but not a lot. And those books traveled with me, and I still have them. But other books, I was able to always go to libraries, and I could find the same books that I'd had in England and then in Jamaica and then in Cayman at the libraries, and those stories stayed with me. So when I was little, it was the stories that helped me kind of become who I was. It was stories that helped me gain my courage who helped me gain confidence in myself because I would see it in the characters and I would try and emulate them. And so it was, it was always that I always wanted to be something to do with stories. I didn't exactly know what I, when I was a kid, we didn't, I didn't know an author. I didn't have author visits in school. I didn't really think it was possible to be an author. 
Um, I used to write plays when I was little and get my my cousins to try and and act them out, and then I try to act them out with puppets. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh-huh. um, my mom says so that, that my my cousins actually wouldn't do what I wanted them to do very well, so then I translated. <laughs> I, I, I ended up graduating to puppets instead because I could direct them easier than my cousins did. Sorry, cousins. But... You spent some time as a screenwriter, didn't you? Or working with well, screenwriting? I, I did do screenwriting, but I never actually sold anything. After I got married, um, my husband and I moved to L.A. I had a job working for a um, first a series of car magazines that I was, I was um, copy editing a bunch of car magazines. And then I got a job working for a home entertainment magazine. It was actually the sister magazine to Variety. And it was a business-to-business magazine. So we Uh were living in L.A. doing that. And I still wanted to write. And um, my husband was working on visual effects. He he does visual effects. He was working on movies and TV while we were out there. He now does it for video games. So, But since we were living in L.A., I wanted to, to write... Um, you know, fiction stories, and mm-hmm. I had done journalism in in school, and so while I was editing this magazine, I figured, you know, when in Rome, I'm in LA, I should probably try to write screenplays. So I did. Uh-huh. And I, I in, when I was in college, I'd actually done a, a two degrees, one in journalism and one in theater, and. The one in journalism, I had concentrated on magazine because I wanted to write more stories about, you know, about people, not just straight uh-huh. news. And then when I and then and then I had done a uh, theater degree, also kind of focusing on writing plays. And I'd written a few small, a few short plays. And um, and I wrote about, I think it was like five or six screenplays. And did pretty well in contests and stuff. You know, nothing was ever produced. And I, I didn't win any contests. But I got to, like, finalist in some contests. But then the, the last screenplay that I wrote, um, it was actually an exercise that was in this book uh, by Robert McKee called Story, where he tells you to write a treatment and write this really long detailed treatment with no dialogue. And then when you go to write the screenplay, supposedly the dialogue will just blow out of you. So I'm like, I'm going to try this. So I tried it, wrote this 30-page treatment for the story, and had so much fun with it, I realized that I really just wanted to write novels. (laughs) And And hence the boy, the boat, and the beast. That's right. Um, yeah, that that treatment actually became my first novel that I wrote. And The Boy, the Boat, and the Beast was the third novel that I wrote. So the treatment one hasn't hasn't been published yet. I don't know that it ever will. Oh, but maybe. Okay. Well, the, uh, the Boy, the Boat, and the Beast. Now that won the FCBWI Crystal Kite Award yes. for the uh, yes. Texas Oklahoma region, and it's been described as the graveyard book meets hatchet. Can you give me a, a summary for those who haven't read it yet, or a little brief summary of what the story's about? Sure. It's, a, it's about a boy who wakes up on a beach. He doesn't know who he is, where he is, or how he got there. All he knows is that every time he tries to leave, 
everything turns scary. He sees a light shine over the trees, and he thinks that maybe, perhaps, it's his parents looking for him. So he gathers up as much courage as he can to follow the light and try to find his parents. And along the journey, um, before he can get home, he has to face all of his fears. All right. So now when writers world build, and that's such an important thing in, in writing children's books. When writers world build, they often create um, huge environments or societies, but your setting is tightly contained but shifting and indefinite. So how did you go about building the boys' world? The, this book, like I said, it was the third novel that I wrote, but it was very, very different from the other two that I had written, and it was a real challenge um, it was multiple revisions to really get it right, probably mm-hmm. about 20 revisions before it sold and then multiple revisions after it sold. And all that time, that world building was a big part of those revisions, um, the, the character development as well. But the world building was a big part of it. And in fact, one of the, one of the, 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 one of the final revisions right before it sold was really instrumental in that um, because that's where – I had a sense of the magical part of it in the earlier draft, Mm -hmm. but that final one, that final revision was really where I really upped the ante for the the kind of the more magical parts of Mm -hmm. of the world building. And um, so one of the things that I really found worked very well was layering in all of the, the, the little tiny details and it took me a while to really figure out exactly what the world was. I mean, I, I, I knew I, the story was inspired literally by just a boy waking up on a beach and not having anything around him. And I didn't really know where it would go from there. And mm. so I really discovered the story while I was writing the original draft. But growing up in the Caribbean, both in Jamaica and in um, Cayman, I've always loved the ocean. And, you know, even when I was little, my, my parents loved sailing when I was little. When, we were, when I was seven, we, my parents went on a, a, this sailing trip where you kind of rent a, a yacht and you go with other yachts. Um, and you, we went around the Greek islands. And we were in the smallest. We were in the smallest ship of this fleet, and it was you know, the, the the boat that my parents could afford. The smallest ship. We got caught in this huge storm. And oh no! We didn't have a storm jib, and my mom actually had to strap me into the into the bed of the boat because the the boat was rocking so badly. And at one point before she strapped me in, 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 into the cabin, I remember we had this little tiny dinghy that was, um, that was like tied to the back of the ship. And the, the dinghy, at one point, I kept watching it because it was flapping around so much. And I was just watching it and watching it. And that string snapped and the dinghy was gone. <gasps> in a matter of seconds, like two seconds, and you couldn't see it anymore. And I've always remembered that. And so I think that and this idea of um, 
you know when when you when you're when you're standing in the water and that 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 the way the water tugs on your on your feet and you know mm-hmm. beaches of the beach itself but also the ocean has always seemed like this really magical thing to me and we see we see so little of it you know comparatively because we see uh-huh. the surface and you can't really see what goes on underneath and it seems like it's alive it's this collection of tiny little drops but when they're together they I mean, they can carve out mountains um so so i've always been really fascinated by that so the so getting back to the world building once once i had the idea and i had the setting in mind then it was really about going in and really finding that emotional attachment to the environment around it and seeing how much I could draw out those individual little details and Mm -hmm. that emotion that it would create within this boy who's completely alone for the majority of the story. And that helped me with the world building a lot. When you say that, um, fear for a child is different than fear for adults. I mean, there's there's certainly plenty of... of, um, overlap but in your book at the surface the boy is afraid of storms and a beast and something that he senses is watching him but um what are the deeper childhood fears you're addressing with your through metaphor and symbolism it i sort of felt like abandonment and there were others that um this would really reach a child a, a middle grade reader would really understand what this boy was feeling. So what were the fears that you were trying to address? Yes, definitely. Well, when I was first, when I was writing the first draft of this book, you know, I, as I said earlier, I didn't, I had to really discover what the book was about. And it's funny because I got to the end, I got to that last, um, the last chapter of the book, which actually is very similar in the first draft as it is now in the final book, I got to that last scene and I remember having this aha moment and being like, oh, that's what the book is about. Because uh-huh. until that time, until I got to that end, I didn't know that the book was about fear. And really, that really uh-huh. is what the book is about. It's about fear. It's about um, it's, it's, at that point also, when I was writing the, the original draft, I realized that it's also a very personal story because I've always had a lot of fear, perhaps growing up in all these different places, always being that only child, always being kind of the only one. Um, I was always very fearful of, of everything. And plus I have, I've always had a, dealt with a lot of self doubt, a lot of fear that I'm going to do the wrong thing or say the wrong thing. That little voice in my head, mm-hmm. the, the boy in the book as one of the only other characters in the book is the, um, a voice that he gets in his head. And this voice stays with him and the voice says mean things to him. And he calls it his mm-hmm. you know, the bully. And that voice is kind of, I think, in that, that voice that is in many people's heads where it's telling you, you're going to fail. You can't do this. You're uh-huh. not good enough. You're not worthy. And those are things that 
have followed me throughout my life, but also especially while I was writing this book, actually. I constantly thought, nobody's going to read this book. You know, nobody's going to care. But I think partly because it was such a personal story, I could not let it go. Mm -hmm. I had to write it for me, if for no other reason. In fact, after I finished this book, I wrote two others before I signed with my agent. And I wrote another book and a half before it sold because, you know, I kept telling myself, nobody's going to buy this book. And I'm thrilled that Uh, it's now out in the world and, and, you know, helping other kids. So that, Fear, that self-doubt is a big part of this book. And I kind of like to think of the boy as that scared little 10-year-old that is in every single person. Um, right. I think, I think just about everybody in the world has times when they are fearful before they're going into the first day of school or even as an adult and you're going into a job interview or you're going into a meeting or you're going into, you know, even if you're doing something that's a little out of the ordinary, anything, you know, we all have those moments of fear. And one of the themes of the book, and it's something that is actually, I have these stickers that say it, and it's um, make your own courage, which is something that the boy has been told mm-hmm. and he tries to remember. And I actually, when, when the, before the book came out, um, one of the things that was very important for me is I wanted to make an art therapy project to go along with the book. And I contacted a friend of mine who um, does publicity for children's books, Kirsten Cappy. She's amazing and fantastic. And she put me uh, together with this other friend of hers called Bonnie Thomas, who is a, a, a child therapist who does art therapy and has written some books about art therapy. I sent her a copy of the book and she loved it. And I'd originally planned to do an art therapy project for parents and librarians, but Bonnie was said, no, no, I want to use this as my trauma um, clients. So she was so enthusiastic. She wrote up all of these amazing exercises for clinicians to use with clients. And there's also a version that parents and librarians can use. It's free. It's downloadable on my website. And it's something that I really love and is very, very um, uh, personal to me. When I was a journalist, when I was actually working with the Tampa Tribune as as a reporter, I had done a story an art therapy, an art therapy is a, a gallery showing of art therapy from kids who had gone through the Serbian war. And it always struck me how amazing it is that, that kids can, um, can, you know, get work through their fear through art. So that was important for me. Cause like you said, well, kids, so they have that, a, a very different type of fear because they don't have as much agency as we do as adults. Would you uh, would you be kind enough to read a brief excerpt for us? Sure. Yes, I'd love to. Okay, so this is this is an excerpt that I I often read it at um, events. This is right near the beginning, not quite at the beginning, but close. It's in the first chapter, and um, the boy has just woken up on the beach and realized that he's. Um, realize that he doesn't know who he is. The boy staggered to stand. He was wobbly but stayed upright. Had he just been born? No, he wouldn't be wearing shorts and a t-shirt if he had just been born. 
He wouldn't even know what shorts in the T-shirt were, or the beach, or trees, or the ocean. He glanced at the emptiness around him. No ships or boats, just rolling white-tipped waves. The sand was clear, too, no footsteps showing the path he had walked. Hello? The boy flinched at the sound of his own voice. It was high and croaky like a tiny frog. He coughed and pinpricks of sand scratched his throat. He stuck his fingers into his mouth and tried to fish them out, but they found nothing. His tongue was no help either. Hello? He called a bit louder than before. This time his voice was high, but singed with a rasp like the words had been grated over the sand. Still no answer came. The water's edge crept toward him, then backed away. The leaves in the trees purred in the slight breeze. The boy's jaw tightened. He couldn't be alone, not completely alone. There must be someone near, someone who could hear him. He dug his feet into the sand, bent his legs as a brace, then gathered his voice from deep within himself. Hello! An explosion came from the depths of the trees. A roar drove over him as every leaf and branch erupted. Riding atop the sound were the high-pitched squawks of thousands of birds upset that their quiet had been disturbed. They rose up from the tops of the trees. So many that they changed the color of the sky, circling above him, squawking in frightened, angry bursts. The boy raised his arms to shield his head. Fear sparked in his belly. The birds flapped their wings harder. Bones creaked as they stretched with every beat. Their feathers stiffened to sharp, clanging points. The beaks lengthened too, gnashing with loud clack, clack, clacks. The noise grew deafening as the distended birds blocked out the sun. The boy ran, but there was nowhere to hide. He scrambled across the sand, away from the birds, but the ground trembled before him. Black spikes of rock shot up in his path, threatening to spear the boy. Gasping, he turned back, but the birds still swarmed the sky above. The boy ran to the green wall, dark, spooky, but maybe a place to hide. But when he got close, branches twisted and curled, creaking toward him. A loud hiss escaped through the leaves. The boy cried out, then ran back and back as fast as his feet would take him. He ran until he splashed into the searching fingers of the incoming tide. The water had seemed calm before, but now greedy waves tugged at his ankles. They wanted him to go in. They wanted to take him down. They wanted to drag him beneath the surface. The boy fled to the center of the beach, the place where he'd been born. He curled up as small as he could and shut his eyes tight. Everything had turned scary. Everything had turned bad. How is that possible? Once upon a time, he murmured, once upon a time there was a boy who was hidden. He waited for the birds or rocks or trees or water to attack. He waited to be hurt. But nothing happened. After a while, his heart slowed and the roar around him began to hush. The boy cracked one eye open. The birds had shrunk back to their normal size and jetted away behind the green wall. The trees swayed quietly in the breeze, their branches pointing to the sky. The sand stretched out along the coast, a pale ribbon that looked as soft as green, and the ocean waves danced all the way to the horizon. Quiet fell once again. The boy's arms slid, shaking to his side. He didn't know who he was or where he was, but he knew he wasn't safe on this beach, and he had nowhere to go. Amazing. <laughs> well, thank um, you. Thank you. I, I loved the book, and I wish thank we had you. more time. I have. I would love to have you come back sometime and talk about uh, how fear uh, relates to children in in scary books and spooky books. Because I know we we both you know love the topic. But uh, yes. right now, can you tell people where they can get your book and how they can find you online or? Yes, Your social yes, media. Sure. 
Um, so the Boy, the Boat, and the Beast is available from um, everywhere. It's on IndieBound.org, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Um, personalized copies are available from my local independent bookstore, Book People. And there's a link on my website. My website is um, SamanthaMClark.com. And I'm on Twitter at Sam Clark Writes and Facebook at, I think, Samantha M. Clark Author. And I think my Instagram is Samantha M. Clark Books. But all of them are linked to from my website, which um, is SamanthaMClark.com. Well, thank you so much. And I have to say I, I love the book. And it is mm-hmm. middle grade, it's, and I highly recommend it, uh, teachers, uh, parents, but also the adults should read it. It's, it's really for everyone. So I so appreciate you coming on and talking to us about it, and um, I hope you'll come back. And, oh, I, I meant to ask Absolutely. really quickly, uh, do you have something new coming out? Oh, Anything I, you can tell us? Or should... I do have something new coming out. Um, it hasn't yet been announced, but okay. um, I can say that you can look out for something, for an announcement coming up soon, okay, which I'm very great. excited and about. Then <laughs> maybe you can come back and we can talk about it. Okay. I would love Thank that. I'd love so that. And I'd love to talk about the fear, too. That's also, like you said, it's very important to me, That's you know. Spooky books are awesome. Well, Halloween's coming up, so stay safe. Okay. Thank you. I'm going to turn this. Thank you very much, Samantha. Tamara, we're back to you. Okay. Thanks. Thanks again, uh, Samantha. My voice isn't working tonight. And uh, thanks everybody for listening. And until next week, we wish you haunted nights, sweet screams, and be sure to check under the bed before you turn off the light. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Haunted Nights, live with Tamara Thorne and Alistair Cross.